Laura Tingle, you were there. The press club, Anthony Albanese, he's been Prime Minister for 100 days. Please give us your theatre review. The theatre review? Um, okay. Uh, look, you mean of the, of the 100 days or of the press and, club speech? The right? National Press Club speech in particular. Look, I, I think the interesting thing uh, about it is that he didn't have anything particular to announce. He didn't make any, you know, penetrating sort of uh, new policy uh, positions uh, apparent or any of those sorts of things. He was talking a lot, Philip, about the way uh, he wants politics to be done. And it's not just about being nicer and kinder. It's about um, trying to bring people together and actually get outcomes. And I suppose this is particularly pertinent given we've got the Jobs Summit on Thursday and Friday of this week. And I think I think he's sort of got a point. You know, we've had this decade of uh, politicians um, essentially, you know, doing question, question, you know, oh, here's a problem and here's an answer that we've just drummed up on the day or we're going to uh, shut it off to a committee and you'll never hear of it again and all that sort of stuff. And he's trying to say, well, we're actually going to try to do stuff about things so, um, and we're, go we're going to bring people into the tent, so to speak, uh, to do that. So um, he's got a couple of wins today um, with small business and the unions um, sort of basically agreeing to try to fix up uh, collective bargaining in that sector. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was not a speech that was um, setting a, a brilliantly new agenda. But I think apart from anything else, he's quite keen to do these speeches from time to time because it does give this platform for reasonably uh, controlled questions and answers rather than well, it, what is it, often a it, bit of a shamble at a press like, conference. A bit like an Australian version of the State of the Union in a way, isn't it? It's a, it gives him yes, a chance for a proud overview. Yeah, that's right, but um, without sort of, you know, quite the soaring ambition, shall we say. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, 100 days. The term honeymoon period has been overused as Media mm. Watch made a, accounted quite amusingly a week or so ago, but mm. it's still in the honeymoon period, isn't it? Well, I sort of feel like this government didn't sort of quite have the normal honeymoon, Philip, partly because... Um, there sort of seemed to be this sort of sense of disbelief that they'd won in a lot of sec sections of the um, media <laughs> um, early on. Um, so, and because there was the question about whether it would get a majority in its own right and all that stuff, there was sort of, it wasn't like, oh my God, there's a change of government and everything's going to change. There was sort of that uncertainty about it early on. Uh, but my sense is more that um, the government's uh, position, and this would be reflected in the polls, has sort of grown. Um, people had very low expectations of Anthony Albanese as Prime Minister, I think. They they weren't sure about him. They didn't know whether he was very dynamic or colourful or competent even. Um, but I think in general, as the government has gone on, people have gone, oh, well, actually, that's pretty good. He's done that pretty well. And um, his ministers seem to be competent and, you know, it, there seem to be grown-ups in charge. So my feeling is it's probably um, overall sort of grown in stature as, as a government 
to date. So He made the rather poignant observation that people have always underestimated me, and I think that's true, and I must confess I was in that category. So he has clearly grown, hasn't he? Well, I think he has grown, um, you know, I think people have underestimated him um, and that's partly because of the way he presents himself. I mean, we do have this sort of tendency to want, you know, our leaders to look patrician. Um, he certainly would not fit the patrician category and I think would be appalled at the thought that he might. Um, so that sort of, that puts people's judgment, you know, a little bit um, uh, off, off, uh, off centre to start with. Uh, but I think uh, it is true that he's he's done well and I think you can sort of see it in the confidence he's got when people aren't sure of themselves as he wasn't for a lot of the time when he was opposition leader and obviously, you know, with a couple of particularly notable uh, instances during the election campaign, you know, he kept talking too much, um, he sort of talked in jargon, uh, he talked too fast and if you just look at the way uh, the Prime Minister now speaks, he speaks more slowly, more deliberately, uh, for less for less lengthy periods of time in general, um, and that's a sign of somebody whose confidence is up, who's got a, who's got a bead on what it is he wants to do, and um, feels like he's on top of the politics of it, as well as. Um, a lot of the policy as well. You raised the question of whether he'd considered a scheme like uh, Dan Andrews has announced for Victorian nurses. I think it's it sounds very clever. What do you think of it? About my own suggestion. <laughs> no, about, uh, about, Dan, about Dan Andrews. Andrews. Yeah. Uh, look, I think the Dan Andrews thing um, does sound good, but of course there are problems um, that have been raised through the course of today about you know, uh, you know, and the, the private hospitals are asking and the aged care providers are saying, well, hang on, you know, this is great, but you've got to stay in the public hospital system to to benefit from it. So that's, you know, that's going to be a problem for us. The question I asked the Prime Minister was a slightly different one, which was not about, um, uh, you know, uh, not about um, new students in nursing not having to pay HECS. My question was more about what about forgiving uh, hex payments uh, or hex debts to um, some of the existing workforces that we've all sort of said did such a fantastic job job during the pandemic and continue to do that. So areas like nursing, like education, where it might not be possible um, in the short term to provide them with massive wage rises because of the ongoing budget cost of that. But it's a relatively straightforward process to say, well, we're going to forgive you your hex debts, which are quite substantial, particularly in those sorts of um, professions, and have a huge impact, particularly on women, and it's a it, and their workforces that are dominated by women, uh, where people leave the workforce to have kids, um, so it, they're slower in paying off their hex debts, which means that they're paying more interest over the life of of the debt. Um, so it, it seemed like one of those things you could do which could tick several of the boxes that you want to tick at the moment, which is, you know, one, making people feel better about what they do and recognising it, two, um, putting them in a better financial position. And, of course, and this happens at the time when Biden is announcing this quite courageous policy of forgiving student debt in the yeah. US. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, there are, there are precedents overseas. So um, the Prime Minister, I've got to say, did rather dodge 
the question on that one, but um, you know, you live in hope, Philip. Your um, your colleagues also wanted to know about uh, climate change and energy policy. Was he forthcoming? I don't think we got a lot further than we previously had on those things, Philip. And essentially, he's just saying, you know, you know, yes, we've yes, we're doing the right thing, and you know, don't you worry about that. But um, I don't think it moved us on a great distance. I mean, he would argue that he's delivered on what he said he was going to do in those areas so far, and um, you know, he's sort of essentially promising that um, you know there will be more to come, but you know, we haven't seen it yet. He was also pressured by the press pack on uh, stage three tax cuts. Where are we on that as we speak? Well, um, the the headline thing is he's saying, look, we we decided to support the stage three tax cuts, and we're sticking with our decision. So that you know essentially suggests you're going to stick with them. But I think the subtext of it was he was saying, well, we didn't really have a choice at the time to do it because uh, if we knocked back those tax cuts, um, people on lower incomes would not have got their tax cuts and we couldn't do that. Um, and then uh, he was, when pressed, he was saying, well, of course, you know, there are all other, all these other issues like, you know, these really expensive programs like the NDIS and Defence. My instinct is that um, the, this, the, the, the Prime Minister, just given the, the nature of the way he plays politics, is that he sees the advantage sometimes in letting the debate, shall we say, overtake the government. I mean, you're getting growing calls now for um, the stage uh, three tax cuts to not go ahead uh, from the Senate crossbench, from the welfare sector, from others around the community. And it may well be that in time, and this, this has happened in the past with both sides of politics, in time, the framework in which an issue is seen, in this case, the uh, value of the, ta- uh, the tax cuts changes so that it doesn't just become an issue of, oh, but you promised and you're breaking a promise, but it changes to, well, it would be economically responsible to not proceed with these tax cuts given their exorbitant cost and given the state of the budget and the demands to spend in other areas. We're listening to... Laura Tingle, and uh, let me go back to the Virginia Bell story. The Bell report, the right-wing commentariat is saying this is an absolute waste of time, that the government is spending far too much time looking back at uh, Scott Morrison and indeed in the case of the Bell report at uh, the Governor-General. But surely in this particular transitional phase it is justified? Well, of course it's justified. I mean, it, it's justified if for no other reason than you have to find the, the, the spotlight it shines on how the system works, which is going to be the, the way the system continues to work. Um, I find it extraordinary that conservative commentators, as you know, self-described, aren't interested in wanting to know how abuses of process how the the trashing of conventions has happened on this absolutely spectacular scale uh, and and it was allowed and able to happen. Um, you know it it's not even necessarily just about Scott Morrison. It's about how you know somewhere along the way, somebody didn't sort of ring an alarm bell and say, uh, actually this is this is not a really good idea. I mean, there's this there's this wonderful sort of uh, position that's put by a number of people, including the late uh, former Chief Justice of the um, 
of the High Court, Justice Brennan, who says, look, we've somehow slipped into this world where as long as it's legal, it's okay, and um, whether it's right or not doesn't seem to matter anymore. And I think I think the criticisms of the Bell um, inquiry um, sort of go to that point. You know, it, it's, it's not just about whether it's legal or not. It's about whether the systems that make people accountable to the parliament and to voters and taxpayers actually work. And quite clearly, they don't. Did Albanese respond to this issue in the speech? Um, it actually didn't come up, strangely enough. So, um, no, not really. Okay, but I I'm, I take your point very powerfully. Being legal should not be the test, or not the only test. We've got to talk about ethics and what is fundamentally right. So, okay, uh, I understand that you've written a comparative piece, which I must confess to having missed, comparing the job summits of 1983 and now. Well, and, it, and it was quite a lot of fun, Philip. Um, we, we got to look through all the footage of um, the 1983 summit with all people with bad 80s hair and everything. But, yeah, look, it, uh, we, we had a look at it um, because, you know, history compresses things so that they're just seen, uh, how do you say, um, you know, pe- people mix up the job, su- the employment summit um, in 1980, sorry, the economic summit in 1983 with the floating of the dollar and deregulation. A lot of that stuff happened a lot, a long time after the economic summit at the time. The crucial bit about uh, about that summit really was Bob Hawke um, putting into practice the whole three R's, reconciliation, reconstruction and recovery election slogan, uh, bringing people together, consensus politics, you know, um, and it was, it was very interesting talking to people like Ross Garner who were saying that Essentially, in those days, you know, the big big business was people like BHP of old um, and CRA of old. They, they were essentially still Australian companies. But a lot of the executives of those companies had never met anybody from a trade union. And <laughs> just just culturally, it was so um, such a staggering thing to have them all in the same room and all going, oh, look, you don't have horns. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, and I think that's the important bit about this job summit, Philip. It's not about necessarily what it achieves. It's about, you know, after this sort of, you know, this decade of often quite false senses of division, which didn't actually exist in reality, um, being played out as a sort of a, a, as a cartoon strip in politics, trying to actually get people back in, bringing them in into the tent, so to speak, and saying, okay, how do we fix this? Laura, I must confess that I was, uh, I attended the last summit, I represented the arts sector, and I was photographed on a number of occasions fast asleep (laughs) to my eternal embarrassment. Thank you very much, Laura Tingle, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.